0: Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Today's scripture lesson is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses one through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, "'They have taken away my Lord, "'and I do not know where they have laid him.' When she had said that, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. She did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, "'Woman, why are you weeping? "'For whom are you looking?' Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, "'Sir, if you have carried him away,' Tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I am not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: I'm curious if you have ever mistaken someone to be someone else. The summer before first grade, and memories are funny things, aren't they? I don't know why I remember this story, but it is seared into my brain. The summer before first grade, my mother and I went to purchase my first school uniform. I grew up going to Catholic school, which meant I grew up in plaid jumpers and white Peter Pan collars and knee socks. We went to the uniform store on what was apparently the same day that everyone else in Livonia, Michigan had made the same decision. It was packed full of people. Now I was five years old, which meant I was significantly shorter than the great towering giant you see before you today. I had turned around coveting the particular plaid of another school who got to have a thin yellow stripe with their navy and gray plaid while I was stuck with red. And when I turned back around, I saw that the line was very long. And so I reached for my mom's leg and I wrapped my arms around it and I leaned my head against her and I felt the denim of her blue jeans and all was well. And then a heartbeat later, a voice from above said, Sweetheart, I think you have the wrong leg. (laughs) And I looked up to see the face attached to the leg I was holding, and it was not my mother. I was attached to a complete and total stranger. And how do I put this delicately? I freaked out. Now, fortunately, my mother was nearby and she could resolve the situation. She, re- she reassured both a very startled adult and a panicked child. Now, I have mixed up identities other times, too. It's not all that uncommon for me to look out at all of you and sometimes think that I see a face from a previous congregation. And when I'm away from Columbia for even just a few days, I absolutely start seeing some of you in the faces of strangers around me. We all know what it's like to mistake someone for someone else. But even still, when Mary mistakes Jesus for the gardener, it just seems so unlikely. Because she's Mary and he's Jesus and they have been through an awful lot together. He is almost certainly all she has thought about in the three days since he died. Sure, she wasn't expecting to see him, but how on earth could she look at him and suppose him to be the gardener? There is a whole branch of scholarship It's relatively new. It says that the Gospel of John is among the most environmentally conscious books in all of Scripture. And this line of thinking hinges on this moment. Now for the next few weeks, we'll be thinking about creation care and how that is an essential part of a life of faith. From the Garden of Eden to the River of Life in Revelation, the goodness of God's holy creation flows through the Bible. And the very first instruction that God gives to Adam and Eve, the first instruction given to the first humans, is to take care of this earth and live in it like it's your own. Now it seems that over the years we have forgotten that first commandment Back in 2007, a study reported that the group of Americans least likely to recycle were those who self-identified as Christian. Now, we'll think about why that might be a little later. But for now, I just want to offer some hope. Because that was back in 2007, and in 2017 and every year since, that same study, the Barna study, and they survey church folks every year. Every year since 2017, as younger generations get older and move into the demographics being studied, failure to recycle has moved higher and higher on the list of perceived sinful behavior. So in 2007, Christians were very unlikely to recycle. Ten years later, and every year since, failure to recycle has become increasingly viewed as a serious transgression in a life of faith. Now, I am sure that part of the reason is that we are becoming more and more aware of how real the climate crisis is. But I also suspect that part of the reason is that our young people, they just get it. They have never needed to be convinced that the planet is in peril. They know that it is. And so to them, it is a matter of common sense that we would do everything we can to take care of it. And so in this, as with so many other things, we do well to listen to what our young people are saying. And Confirmation Sunday is a particularly good time for us to remember this. The situation is serious. It is critical and it is incumbent upon Christians to be clear in our awareness of this and clear in our commitment to do something about it. Our theology leaves no room for any other interpretation. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks ahead. But for now, for today, I just want to submit one crazy idea to you. What if the reason Mary supposed Jesus to be the gardener is because he was doing things a gardener does? Maybe she thought he was the gardener because he was in fact tending to the land right around him. And what might it mean for us if the first act of our risen Lord was to marvel at trees and pull up a few weeds and adjust some branches so that light could shine through to the lower dwelling plants? It might mean that caring for creation is far more central to faithful living than we tend to imagine. Now, if you are sitting there thinking that all of this is a bit of a stretch, that Jesus was probably not planting seeds and watering plants when the women came to the tomb, well, Mary supposing him to be the gardener remains instructive. Jesus, the gardener. Everyone who heard John's gospel, they would have understood this right away because they were good Jews who knew their sacred text. And so they knew that the garden was paradise, that God planted a garden in the east and that God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life is in the garden. We are given our instructions to till and care for the earth in the garden. And it is in the garden that God celebrates how humans should not be alone. And so it is there that we are given the gift of one another. The garden is where boundaries are set, where life is lived without shame, where rivers of water flow and the elephant and the earwig receive their names. And when boundaries are broken and Adam and Eve are banished, the expulsion from the garden, well, that becomes the metaphor for other stories. When ancient, when ancient Israel describes coming home to Jerusalem after exile, they use language of returning to a garden. For the Lord will comfort Zion, they say, and will make her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord, and joy and gladness will be found there. Jesus weeps in a garden, and then he's hung on a cross, strung up on dead timbers of a tree, also in a garden. Jesus, who says he is the way, the truth, and the life is on that tree, And John's listeners, they wouldn't have had the image from Revelation yet, but we do. The tree of life has leaves that are for the healing of the nations. So whether the grime under the risen Lord's fingernails was the dust of the tomb or the dirt of the garden, whether it was one or the other or even both. Well, I can't tell you for sure. What I can tell you is that either way, new life has always emerged from a garden. And maybe Mary, supposing Jesus to be the gardener, reminds us how our first vocation is to do the same. Till the garden, we are told in Genesis... And that word can be translated as cultivate the garden, care for it, dress it, work it, tend it, serve it. Now we have long assumed that Jesus told so many parables with agrarian imagery because he lived in an agrarian society. That it was simply the clearest way to communicate with the people. He had a story about planting seeds in different types of soil and a story about a mustard seed. He told us he was the vine and we were the branches. He told stories about fig trees and fertilizer. He talked about wheat and weeds, sheep and goats. He mentioned the blowing wind and fields ready for the harvest. And he told us to pay attention to completely non-anxious birds. And then he shows up with a hat and gloves in a garden and promises us that his work of pruning and planting, of watering and weeding, of cultivating and caring is far from over. And maybe that is a call for all of us to remember that the Lord God took us and put us in the garden to till it and keep it. So this week, you have a homework assignment, go outside, sit down or go for a walk in the garden that is this beautiful earth all around us. Marvel at it, breathe in it, pray in it, nap in it, revel in it, because it is easier to protect creation when you love creation. And it is easier to love creation when you experience creation. So this week, let creation bring you to your knees. Chances are good, you will find the gardener there. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe, help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.